Live with just a brief delay caused by fish, not the band, actual little swimmy guys that go through the water. I uh, just had a box of fish for an aquarium project show up, and of course it showed up just about when I was going to hit go. So a little bit of a delay and then had something else I had to fix because of it, but we are ready to roll, and we have got a listener feedback show. We didn't do one on Monday, so I thought we'd do one today. Got a bunch of stuff. Um, we're talking a little bit about ESG and the money flow. And there's a great article that is out on Zero Hedge. Um, it does a good job of explaining half of the money flow, but not the other half. And as you might imagine, usually when there's two halves of the money flow, there's also a connection. There's a bridge. There's something that goes along with it. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the fish antibiotic thing I was supposed to tell you about last week that I didn't. Doc Bones answered a question about fish antibiotics. But I like said playing like Karnak the Magnificent, and some of you are old enough to remember who Karnak is. Um, I think I can tell you exactly what's going to happen, how this is going to work out. Um, and it won't cut us off, but it will reduce our access significantly to emergency antibiotics. Uh, we'll talk about property taxes, mycorrhizal fungi in the garden, dealing with scum in a small-scale aquatic system, a unique eminent domain issue. I don't know if that's the right term for I don't really know how to. I've never heard of anything like this before, but we're going to ask the question, how do we get here? And uh, a little bit about the phraseology in the article, too. Uh, we're going to talk about gene therapy being used to sterilize cats. I'm going to play a little more Karnak about how this might play all out with the transhumanist uh, bent to things like the WEF and ESG that we're leading off with. And, of course, it'll all be voluntary. Don't worry. Nobody's going to make your kids be sterilized uh, with genetic therapy, even though they can do it to a cat. There's some interesting things in that article, too, we should talk about. I want to talk to you real quick, a real quick segment toward the end here about free speech and a way to look at the, 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 the free speech issue in social media that I think a lot of people just don't, and you should. And then we're going to wrap up with a really cool, really simple um, – New keto carnivore recipe type thing that I think you'll really like if you're of the keto carnivore bent. And it's really flexible. It's beyond what I'm going to show you uh, in the video. I just picked up from this guy named Courtney Luna, uh, who I found on, uh, I think, Instagram. and uh, But I got a YouTube version of her video for her. She's got a pretty cool channel. She's a carnivore enthusiast. She's early in her journey. She's still got a little bit of a way to go, but she's made some incredible progress she has some pretty creative ideas, some things that are different than what I see everybody everywhere else. So that's what we're going to hit today. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Today's first sponsor of the day is not someone we would typically call a sponsor. Expert council member Nicole Sauce has worked with two of her uh, closest uh, contemporaries to put together a seven-week series on a journey to self-sufficiency with homesteading. This is going to be freaking awesome. And it is world-class what she's put together. Here's the, the seven webinars. Again, one a week for seven weeks. Um, creating a successful garden your first year. Raising small livestock, poultry, and rabbits. Victory Garden Poultry, a permaculture approach to meat, eggs, and veggies. Beginning canning the water bath. Advanced canning, safety with low acid. Uh, then curing meats on the homestead, and then finally on August 2nd, my birthday, 
an introduction to making cheese, which I think is great because I like cheese. So that'll be for my birthday. I get to learn how to make cheese. Uh, maybe some of you guys will take the course and make me some cheese and send me some cheese. I love cheese. Anyway, um, that aside, this is a great deal. She priced this package at $495. That's if you break it across seven uh, webinars, pretty good deal. But you can get $200 off discount code TSP bacon. It is not MSB only. This is for anybody in the MS or anybody in the survival podcast audience. TSP bacon, you'll get it instead of $495, $295. That comes out to like $57 or something like that. $60-ish, somewhere in that range per webinar. If you're like, I don't really need all that, but boy, I'd like to take that cheese one, or I'd like to do the curing meats one, or something like that, you can buy them individually as well. If you go to the write-up on the blog today, you can check out any of those individually, and there's a link to that right down in the video notes for those that are watching the video version of this live or in the future. Next up today, start nine embassy servers. Take back your digital sovereignty. This is more important today than it was even a couple of years ago when start nine launched. Every single thing we do is monitored. Our data is valued, you know, so much so that they might lock us out of it, but they sure don't get rid of it. We are used and abused in every way. There's digital dossiers being built on everyone. And there's a real attempt to control what we're able to do and how we're able to do it. With a Start9 Embassy server, you, if you can install apps on a smartphone, you can use a Start9 Embassy server. I know servers sound so technical and dangerous. Oh, my God, I'll never. No, it's not hard. It's not hard at all. You can get kind of the, 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 the base model server and run things for like you and your family and your household. Or you get the bigger one. You can run it even for a small community. You can run a Bitcoin node. You can run a Lightning node. You can host and have access to your images and your data anywhere you go. End-to-end military-grade encryption, you can have that too. And, you know, the people you're doing it with, they don't have to know anything. I want you to be clear. Even I I say end-to-end digital encryption, you know, uh, people think, well, that means, like, I have to be Jason Bourne, the user. No, it's easy. Uh, But it does take a little bit of setup and things like that. However, for your your family, your friends, your contacts, you want to give access to that, they just install an app and set up an account. That's all there is to it. And that way you can run end-to-end encryption for uh, chat. And, hey, you know what? If you're talking about your cat with your grandma, it's not the government's business either. And you can do that with Start9 Digital Servers. Check them out today at Start9.com. Next up, just real quick before we jump into this, the uh, 15-year anniversary party is still has tickets. It doesn't have a lot of tickets. It doesn't have a lot of tickets at all. It's 10 there are 10 tickets left of the 75 I'll put up for sale. Um, if you want to come, I would get it sooner than later. Again, I didn't know if this would sell out or not. 80 bucks a ticket. You can get all the uh, information. I do want to say that the email that's been going out for like last week, apparently I had the link for the announcement rather than the sale. If you got frustrated with that, it's fixed. But if you just go to the survivalpodcast.com and use the search box and look for TSP 15 year or today's show notes, you'll find where you can sign up. Ten tickets. That's all that's left. So if you want to come, the time is now or you won't be coming very soon. I think we are going to sell out for that. Uh, That said, I don't care how many more sell. We have a big group. It's going to be an awesome event. I'm really looking forward to it. It is July 20th. And so you can check your calendars and see if you can make it work. I've been hearing from a lot of people. They're kind of arranging things to come in. And let me just say, if you're not local to DFW, I don't care if you're from Oklahoma, Louisiana, or like some people are coming from Florida, California, et cetera. If you are coming from out of state for this, it's a deeply humbling thing that somebody would travel that far 
to spend, uh, you know, four or five hours with us. Thank you so much for that. And I look forward to celebrating with you. And 15 years is a landmark thing for a podcast. I don't think there's very many of them out there in that realm. I know No Agenda is. Uh, no Agenda is a few months older than us. And there's a couple other ones, but there's not a lot of 15-year podcasts out there. All right. Now let us dig into what you came to hear about today. I'm sure most of you, like, ah, you clickbaited my ass again. We're going to talk about ESG and world domination and all kinds of like money flows and companies doing woke stuff and damaging their brand. It's not clickbait. It's exactly what we're going to talk about. I want to start out with how we ended up with the subject today. Chef Keith Snow actually sent me an email, and one of the links in it was this article on Zero Hedge, and it's ESG dystopia, why corporations are doubling down on woke even as they lose billions. Okay, there's a couple things that we need to talk about here if we're we're going to examine this properly. And we need to understand that while I think Zero Hedge does some good work, um, they are not immune to sensationalizing their headlines a little bit. But this is a good piece of journalism, right? But what I want to start with is this idea that these companies have lost billions because their stock price went down. It's not exactly true. Because unless the company planned on selling itself very recently, you know, very soon, it's a, it's an, it, it, the loss doesn't matter directly. We're going to get to how it indirectly does matter how it's part of the squeeze, right? But how the squeeze is being made up for by the people that are doing the squeezing. But just understand when you hear something like, you know, today Mark Zuckerberg lost $900 trillion gazillion dollars. No, he didn't. His life didn't change one bit. Temperature in his pool didn't change. Doesn't care. Company stocks go up and down and up and down all the time. It's not that it doesn't matter, but in short durations, it doesn't matter. It's actually a great time for companies to take windfall profits, buy back their own stock, right? And that's usually what they do. That's part of this whole thing. But the Zero Hedge article does a good job of explaining the lending side of the monetary flow. So the WEF is made up of the biggest corporations, the financial elite of the world, and the banks of the world. And that's the World Economic Forum, if you've been sitting under a rock for the past few years and you don't know what it is. These are the people that are behind the Great Reset, where you will own nothing, be happy, and eat the bugs, right? That, those folks. And... But this is so far beyond just the WEF. This, this brings in companies like BlackRock, okay, who are both companies that have their finger on the pulse and control, not in clo- massive influence on the banking sector. But the side that's left out of the Zero Hedge article is that they're also managers of extremely large amounts of institutional money. And most of that institutional money is actually private money. It, it's, 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 it's retail investors. It's you and me. It's mutual funds at 401ks rather than large actual institutions. So they do a lot of that, too. But they have a lot of money that they control. So let's come with the zero hedge angle first. Basically, what zero hedge is saying is companies like Budweiser will take a transsexual TikToker and put its face on a Bud Light can and risk damage to their stock price and their brand because they have no fear that they will not be lent money and that the corporations of the world run on debt. And as long as they play the ESG game 
All the ESG sugar daddy people will loan the money. That's the no bullshit, quick, down and dirty Jack Spearco explanation. If you want a large technical explanation, go read the Zero Hedge article. They did a great job on it. So there's no reason for me to really say much more other than what he's saying basically is giant mega corporations are willing to do stupid shit like sell tuck your balls, kids, bathing suits during Pride Month at the front of a Target store, knowing what it will do to their brand because they know that they're securing lines of credit into the future. Now, that article also go on, goes on to talk about how investors are pulling out, blah, 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 blah. No, no. Wait. Because this is where you lose the plot with this if you don't understand the other side of the equation. There's also the, the, the ability to stabilize the stock price itself. So, for instance, BlackRock owns something like 18% of InBev stock. InBev is Anheuser-Busch is Bud Light. 18% of the stock is held by BlackRock. Now, when I pointed that out when this all started, people said, that's institutional shares, you idiot. Don't start your conspiracy theories. Listen, if I own 18% of your stock and I can dump it all in a day, I have more influence than somebody with 5% of your stock in voting shares because of what I can do to your price. I can cover short you, right? I, I, I can do a covered short. I can do a covered long. I can do so much to manipulate the price of your stock up or down. What do you want? And when one of these storms comes, I can just accumulate more so I have more influence. You understand how that works. So what the deal that has been made through ESG and these giant corporations like BlackRock with this massive amount of investment money is, well, if you don't do ESG, we won't buy your stock and put you in our mutual funds. So it's both sides of that cash flow, and they're, they are directly correlated. you got to think differently than the average person does, though. You have to think like a corporate scumbag that runs a company on debt. What is the greatest asset you have to leverage against debt as collateral to get more debt? The stock your company holds in itself. So when you tank the stock price, you, you increase the pressure against the leverage already extended on the, on, the, on the balance sheet, on the side of the balance sheet for taking the loan. You see how that works? So what really happens is you have the World Economic Forum in conjunction with all of these other elite assholes. And they're trying to change the world. This is not a conspiracy. This is their stated goal. And they call it. Uh, they call it their version of a capitalism. There's nothing about this that is capitalism. They call it stakeholder capitalism. And it's a great alternative to like capitalism run amok. Nothing about this is capitalism. This is economic fascism of the highest order. It is changing the behavior of a company so that the company seeks to please its master rather than maintain its fiduciary responsibility to its shareholders. What does that mean? When you give a company money, there's really only one thing that they're obligated to do other than make sure that your shares are uh, accounted for and that they've done everything legally. But once they have your money and they're going to take their money and they're going to put it to work, the one real legal requirement they have is within the best of their ability and judgment to attempt to make a profit with the money that you gave them, right? To be good conservators of the investment and seek profit within the bounds of the law. If it's best for the company, it's what we do. Stakeholder capitalism says, no, screw that. No, 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 no. 
what's really important is 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 at least half of your director level and above minorities and underrepresented groups and protected classes of citizens. How many black people do you have? How many Asians? How many transsexuals? How many gay people? Now, what a company should say to that is take that, shove it straight up your ass and get out of here. Our job is to make money for our shareholders. If the best person for a job I can find is a half black, half Taiwanese, Asian-inspired pansexual that dresses like a dog, then by God, I'll hire that person. But if the best person for the job is a white dude, I'll hire him. And if it's a black chick, I'll hire her. I don't care what they look like. As long as as long as what they look like doesn't prevent them from doing their job. If I'm going to be sending them as a salesperson to Saudi Arabia, obviously, I have to think about this a little bit differently. Yeah? But overall, I want the best qualified person for the job. That's what a company's supposed to do. And by and large, with all this bullshit, it's mostly what companies did, even while your government was doing the other thing. Well, this is changing that. Imagine the power I have. And this is not like some sort of covert backroom deal. This is right out in the open. This is these companies like BlackRock saying, if you don't, we won't. And let me explain to you, it's not illegal. It's not illegal. You have to understand how like a mutual fund or an ETF works. So let's say I have a mutual fund. It's a little easier to understand. And I, it's a growth and in income mutual fund. Or it's a... Um, uh, a, a small cap or a mid cap or a large cap company. It's a dividend uh, based company. It's based on an index, et cetera. I don't have to have everybody in the index or everybody that's mid cap in there. I just have to have everybody in there fit the charter of the investment. So instead of calling out names of companies, let's just call it the uh, remote company and the pen company, right? So the remote company and the pen company do totally different things, but they're exactly the same kind of company. Let's say that they are large cap growth companies. And up until now, I've been holding about equal amounts of the remote company and the pen company inside my funds, right? All of my funds that are under this charter, I've had about the same amount. The pen company refuses to go woke, okay? There is nothing illegal about me liquidating all the pen company stock, and dropping it into the remote company or spreading it out against the remote company and the phone company and the measuring cup company, right? Like, there's nothing illegal about that. I can do anything I want, especially when I specifically say that we are an ESG company and we give preference of investment to ESG companies. Totally legal. Totally. This is all stated. If you ask one of the leaders in BlackRock, if they do this in, a, in an interview on the news, they'll say, well, of course we do. It's right in our charter. It's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. What they're doing is they're saying that, and this is how they're justifying it to shareholders. The future is environmentally sustainable diversity, blah, blah, right? So the companies doing this are the ones we want to invest in because we know they're going to want to be the ones that, that, that succeed in the future. Oh, by the way, we know that because we're the ones that fund them and make sure they stay in business and make sure they have an unending line of credit and make sure that their stock doesn't tank too much. Because even if the stock tanks, it can tank a lot before it pushes the leverage pain. So basically, they're saying to InBev, they're saying to Target, they're saying to all these world corporations, don't worry, we got your back. No problem. You'll be able to borrow money. We'll make sure of it. And we will put a we'll put a hard limit 
on how far we will let your stock slide. We'll bring billions of dollars to play to prop your stock up if we need to, if you play ball. Now, does it make sense why they're doing it? Do you understand why they're doing it? And then I think there are other things. Like, was it necessary for Bud Light to bring Dylan, whatever the hell his nuts name is, in as they did to appease the ESG people? And the answer is no, it wasn't. It wasn't necessary. But when you start playing this game and you start hiring idiot morons who believe the bullshit and give them positions of authority in a company, they'll take that authority and make decisions based on the directive that they think they're supposed to do and totally shit-can your brand. And there is a limit to this. This is not a limitless thing just because there's a ton of money behind it. And sooner or later, it can crater these companies. I just don't think they're as close to cratering as you think. And, you know, here's an example of why. Bud Light, man, we showed them rednecks. Yeah, rednecks roll. Okay. So the number one beer in America was Bud Light. The number one beer brand in America today is uh, Modelo. That's right. I ain't here no more. Got Bud Light gay beer. I'm going to go get me a Mexican beer. You know who owns Modelo? InBev. It's the same company. You're giving the same company your money. Go look up all the beer brands under InBev. It's half the beer sold in America. They don't care if you change your purchasing decisions. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect them at all. It doesn't even affect their share price. And all that's happened is these ESG-driven investment management firms have bought the stock at a discount during this period of time. Now, Liberty says I'm seeing a lot less Pride Company logo on LinkedIn. And you will. Like, they have hit kind of a ceiling, but this isn't going away. They'll just change their tactic. Because it's not really about what you think it's about. It's about altering society as a whole. The whole trans crap, the attacking your kids crap, it's just one piece of it. And when one piece has been taken, when the giant's right foot has moved as far forward as it can in the march for now, put the boot down, start moving the left foot. This is a very slow marching giant. It's been marching for decades. So that's the basics of that. So if you've ever wondered, why do these companies keep doing this? Did they think this would work? No, they didn't care. They're just doing what they need to do. They're going along to get along. It's, it's, it, it's, again, stakeholder capitalism. But who holds the stake? WEF and their ilk hold the stake. And, they, and it's not a stake like, hey, we're, we're in this together. We have a share in the company, and we, we really hope you do well. It's like a stake that you stab somebody to death with. This says, hey, do what we say or you're going to get staked. That's what's going on, and it's going to keep going on. And you're just going to see the the angle shift from time to time. And, like, they'll advance this trans bullshit as far as they can. And when they realize they can't go much further with it right now, much to the chagrin of all the stupid people that are out there marching in the streets, following Raytheon floats in a parade. All right? I should have had that picture. This is, this is unbelievable. They had a gay rights, trans rights, rainbow flag, LGBT, blah, 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 bullshit parade going on. Carrying a banner with a Raytheon logo with a rainbow on it, and behind it was a Raytheon float. So the company that sells weapons 
to Saudi Arabia to bomb people in Yemen, a government that literally throws gay people off a roof has a rainbow logo and these idiots are marching behind it. They're going to they're gonna be like, what happened? What about our cause? Here's your new cause. Oh, okay, here's our new cause. It's just going to continue, continue, continue. Let's move on. Um, real quick on just, you know, how government plays games. Last week we talked about um, fish antibiotics with Doc Bones on the Expert Council show. And he said, right now, you can still buy the fish antibiotics. Who's going to take a guppy to the vet? All of that I agree with. Obviously, I'm a fish person. My show was delayed a little bit today because tropical fish arrived in a box out by my gate. And I had to go get them in case the sun came up while we're doing this and killed all my fish I just bought. So I know a little bit about fish. And, yes, you, you are not going to take your guppy to the vet. You're not going to take your grommy or your beta or whatever to the vet. In fact, it would be the worst thing you could do because the fish is already stressed. So taking the fish out and transporting it to a vet is dumb. And the vet's probably going to say, I can't prescribe antibiotics for your fish without seeing your fish. Maybe they could do a telehealth like they do for people now. But it's, it's too much of a pain in the ass. The other side of it is the, the fish industry is not tiny at all. It's not, you know, it's not something BlackRock is probably heavily invested in. It's, it's not that big uh, of an industry, but it, it does, it's big enough to have some influence, right? It's, it's, and it's part of the larger pet trade, which is, you know, tens of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars in the United States. So it's not like you can just screw over that group of the, of the financially elite. Yeah. They, and, and, and they need antibiotics to be available for the treatment of fish all the way down to the individual keeper. It, it, it's, it's an, a need. But I, I think we can, you know, as I said, hindsight is blind, but it doesn't have to be. You, you can learn a lot from hindsight if you'll use your brain. All we have to do is look at where did something similar, not the same, but similar to this happen before. Well, there used to be a medication called Actifed, and then there was another one called Sudafed. And Actifed was, in my opinion, if you suffer with major nasal congestion from time to time, the better one, it had a second ingredient in it, in addition to the Sudafedrine. And eventually, because of what was done, the pharmaceutical companies no longer make Sudafed and Actifed with the original ingredients. In fact, it's not the same product at all. In fact, I think it's total crap. It, it's a garbage product, and it's a shame because it worked. Now, why did they do this? Because of speed, because of meth. What people were doing, buying large amounts of, of Sudafed uh, or Actifed, to get the pseudofedrine out and use it as a raw material in, in, in making speed. So the government in its wisdom said, well, we'll just cut them off at the source as though there's not other ways to get this shit. But in the interim, they went like, this is a medication. It's a proof of over-the-counter use. Like why, a lot of people depend on it. What should we do? And so what they did is, and I know some of you, if you ever used that medication, might remember, you would go to like, you know, an Ecker Drugs or something, and you could get Sudafed. Or you could get Actifed. You could get one box at a time, and you had to sign for it. And they were like, as long as we're doing this, it's going to be too inconvenient to stockpile enough of this stuff. You can't just go in and buy a case of it anymore. And if you did, you'd have to sign for it. That sets off all kinds of bells. And we'll monitor it, and this, this will be a compromise. And then we won't have this problem anymore. Okay. Sure. Yeah. All right. So... <laughs> 
That won't be the exact same thing. But let's say if I'm the pet industry here, do I really want to compete with all of these little independent websites and shit like that where you can just order shit through the mail? No, no, I don't want to do that. So this is what I think they'll do. They'll say the fish keeper can still buy fish penicillin, fish amoxicillin, you know, fish tetracycline, et cetera. No problem. However, how much do you need to treat an aquarium? And it's generally about a, you know, a pill to a, a standard aquarium. And then there's a certain number of days that you do it. And they'll probably say like, uh, you know, 20, 15, 16, 18. We'll have to pick some random ass number. And they'll say that you can only buy it. You know, like once a month and only up to this quantity. And the other thing that will happen because of that is the price per pill will go way, way up. And you have to sign for it. And this will mean you have to go to like a major chain, most likely, like a Petco, uh, PetSmart, whatever. And you can buy like a week's worth or two weeks worth or a month's worth for your aquariums with a signature. And maybe they'll have something like if your vet says you're like a, a hobbyist with 100 tanks, like you can get X amount. Or whatever, but you'll have to sign for it. You have to KYC to buy fish antibiotics, basically, is what I'm saying. So uh, that's that's what I see coming from that, and we'll see if that's another accurate Jack prediction. I'm pretty confident in that one that that indeed will be what we will see come of this. So moving on from there, let's talk about um, property taxes here. So I got it was interesting. I, I did the outline for this show yesterday. From one question. And that question was, I'm thinking about buying land and I'm noticing that, you know, a house on a little tiny lot where I live right now, um, the property taxes is as much as the mortgage, like half the payment is taxes. And I, I would tend to agree in a lot of situations, but this guy wants land. But is there any strategy other than a homestead exemption, right, that you will mitigate property tax. Okay, that's the one side is. Other person, just this morning, I opened an email. Guy is pissed. Uh, this is a raw land issue, and some farmers uh, bid pretty high on a couple pieces of land in the area. The county immediately weaponized it and, and just jacked up all the other property and value based on these two pieces, these two parcels. And what do I do to fight back? How do I... How do I appeal this? What have you? All right. So they're different, but the same. Let's start off with the one with the new appraisal. This is a very, very difficult thing. This is a very, very difficult thing to deal with. And John from SOE Tactical, Tactical Gear, uh, Special Operations Equipment, um, just hit me with a $100 super chat. Thank you, dude. You send me enough shirts. I don't know that you need to be throwing me money, too. John's a great dude. If you want to get one of his shirts, you know, check out. Uh, his website. It's awesome. I'll make sure there's a link in the notes today. Uh, but that's where you see all these great shirts that I get. He keeps me in about a new shirt once a week uh, is what it seems like. And uh, so thank you, John. Um, anyway, on the property tax issue, that, that's the one side with the assessment. The other side is just straight up mitigation. And here's what I'm going to say. I can't tell the person who's dealing with the new appraisal, exactly what to do. I will tell you there are generally companies that specialize in helping you push back. And they generally take a piece of what they save you, if they can save you anything, which means it's pretty risk-free. And sometimes they know how to navigate the uh, appeal better than you do. Sometimes it's just a matter of filling out paperwork and seeing what you get. 
This year, they jacked our property taxes up. We filled out the paperwork ourselves. It saved us about 300 bucks. Now, it's pretty small compared to the whole, but it's 300 bucks I wouldn't have had by filling out a piece of paperwork. So the basic appeals process is always worth at least doing, no matter, even if it's a small increase, to see if you can get anything out of it. With what happened to this guy, I would encourage you to take a look at, you know, because every state, every county is different. I can't tell you what to do. The larger, broader question, and first I want to address the concern of the guy that was asking me the first question. So you're comparing a property with a house to raw land. They're going to be taxed totally differently. So when you're buying raw land, one thing you do still have to be careful of is it'll always say when a piece of property is listed for sale what the current taxes are. That will be based on the price that the land was valued at when the tax was assessed. A lot of this land has been in people's hands for a long time and has as, as bad as they are about jacking up assessments. There's a lot of property that is really valued lower than its market value on the tax rolls. The second that property sells, that becomes the appraised value. It's obviously what it's worth. You paid that for it. It's, it's that type of thinking. And I hate saying this, but while it's completely theft under their system, the state has a point. Obviously, this place is worth 300000 You paid that for it. But generally, not every municipality, but generally in the same municipality, $300,000 of raw, unimproved land will be taxed differently than $300,000 worth of uh, house-sitting real estate but it also won't be available to get that homeowner's deduction that you're talking about. And this is why I think it's important to understand that property tax is probably the most insidious form of theft that the tax people have. Taxing income is awful, but I have a lot of ways to mitigate how much of my income is actually income legally under the tax code. I also don't have to work. I mean, I have to work, but I don't have to work. Do you know what I mean by that? In other words, I choose how much money I make, right? And I choose what form that money is in when I make it. And there's a lot of steps I can take. There's a lot of ways to create expenses within my lifestyle that become expenses against my income. There's a lot of ways to maximize that. There's not a lot I can do with property tax, not directly. So how does one mitigate property tax you need to step back and understand what land has going for it what real estate has going for it, whether it's a house on it or not when you own a block of dirt what is the biggest important thing to know about that and it is that it is an asset that can be leveraged by renting access to it or selling something produced on it to someone else. So the way that we mitigate property tax on land is we figure out how to make the first thing we want the land to do is pay for itself. The land's biggest expense is going to be paying the government for the privilege of owning your own land. And so the first thing I want to do is if I have $2,000 worth of property tax on a piece of raw land that I'm holding, I want to create $2,000 worth of income on it. And I'm not going to pay tax on that income, by the way, because I'm going to defer it back as a legitimate expense that I because now I'm not in the salt deductions. I'm in the land maintenance deductions. Right. So I'm going to say this and I'm going to hold that piece of land 
under something like an LLC or an LLP. I'm not going to hold it directly. I'm going to hold it indirectly for the purpose of making, if I'm really concerned about this and I want to do this right, that's how I'm going to take that approach. And I'm going to do something like throw some buildings on it that I'm going to borrow money to put on there so I can depreciate and not have the outlay of my own capital at the same time. And I'm going to defer that against my income on the land. And I'm going to rent those out and I'm going to make more money than the property taxes. And effectively now my property tax is zero. I'm going to lease it to a farmer or a rancher. I'm going to do ecotourism. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something with it or it's not worth owning. I know that sounds crazy because everybody wants lots and lots of land. But if you're talking about investment land, which is what the first gentleman was talking about, it sounded like to me having land on your, you know, your personal balance sheet, your long-term investment, which I, I think is a fine idea. Then I don't want an asset that costs me more than its appreciation in value across time, which is what most people hold land do. They pay so much in property tax. They never figure out how to make the land in any way pay itself back. And, you know, if you're paying 2% a year for 10 years, how much appreciation in the value of the underlying asset do you have to have? And by the way, if, you, if you're in a position where when you sell real estate, you pay income tax on the capital gain, which in most instances, if you're smart, you shouldn't. But if you are, you don't get to go back and deduct that and say, but I actually had an expense to hold. No, 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 no. So it is, I think it's important to understand that, that it is the most insidious form of taxation we have. And it's a tax on an asset that you already paid for. That you paid a lot of tax before you ever had the money to pay for it. That you probably bought with credit and you paid a bunch of money in interest that they've also devalued through inflation at the same time. So this is why a lot of people in the bit, Bitcoin space will say real estate is a shit coin. And, and I, I think if you hold real estate beyond what you need to live without generating income with it, I think they're completely correct. You'd be better off putting that money in a Bitcoin or a, an equity that you're comfortable with. Right. It would probably cost you less to hold cash than land. But at least you will have some underlying appreciation in the land value, maybe. Real estate is not an amateur's game if it's going to be done the right way. But that's what you need to ask yourself about real estate because there is no real escape from this. There just isn't. All right. Next up was a pretty, let's do something really different. A pretty simple question. Uh, I recommend uh, mycorrhizal inoculant, uh, especially for your garden plants, your fruit trees and things like that. There's a product I recommend called Dynomyco. It's the one I have up on the, uh, screen right now but there's a lot of good products that do this i like this one because it's in a a truly suspended form it's little little capsule pebbles like uh it looks like the stuff that would be inside a capsule the little balls right and they're coated and it protects the mycorrhizal fungi inside keeps them in a suspended state means that you know a year after you buy them you can use them and they'll still work they'll still be viable and they do have about a year of shelf life uh but the question was pretty simple it was what do I do if I want to use these things and I have already planted my garden for the year? Is it too late? There's some that come in a powder form and the manufacturers would generally say you can add a certain amount to a certain amount of water and water it in. And that may help some. The reality, though, is these fungi only thrive 
in conjunction with the roots of plants. They need to touch each other. And so what you water in, the vast majority will never get close enough to the root to make contact and start growing or to make contact with the part that does grow because that's what can happen. Some of it can start growing, and as it fans out, it's little spores sitting here, and it gets some of the mycorrhizal, and it joins its brothers in its network or its sisters in its network, right? So this is actually a really easy thing to do. Let's say it's a tomato plant. You want to inoculate it. Take your finger right at the base of the plant. Push down into the roots with your finger, one or two, maybe even three sides. Put a few pinches of the product down the hole. Cover the hole up. Water it in. That's that simple. That's all you got to do. It absolutely does work. I've trialed it. Um, I've trialed mycorrhizal, and I can tell you they absolutely do work. And... Um, I've seen, you know, side by side, two wicking beds, same plants, same solar exposure, same fertilizer, same everything. One has mycorrhizal fungal inoculum, one doesn't. Healthy, more vigorous, more pest resistant plants. Totally worth doing. If you're interested in that product, there's a link to it in the show notes today. Uh, and uh, it's part of my fertility program. I really recommend something like that. And whenever you're buying like an organic fertilizer or something, as long as it's good quality, like Dr. Earth, one of our supporting vendors of MSB, all their stuff's great. Uh, Fox Farm, all their stuff's great. When I buy a fertilizer, organic fertilizer product, I'm always looking for two additional things if it's available. And one is colony forming beneficial bacteria, this is a soil bacterium, and beneficial mycorrhizal fungi. And so anytime you're using a product that contains that, you want to get at least some level of root contact with it to get the maximum out of it. Because a lot of these organisms, again, without the soil root system, they just don't do well. So putting it on a surface is probably the worst thing. Yeah, I guess the other thing you could do is you could do a small moat, uh, as long as you're deep enough to be down into the true root zone, and you could sprinkle it in there. You could do the same thing with biochar. We've talked about that. So it's the same type of thing. But it's it's actually really, really simple. Um, next up, this is a little bit of a weird one for me because, unfortunately, I have not heard back from this person yet. And I'm going to just make sure real quick that he didn't email me since we started and there's not maybe some information I can use here. And there isn't. And I'm twitching because my next door has a question about what kind of snake somebody saw. And you know me, I like to answer questions about snakes. So if you have snake questions, send them in for another show. Well, it's a uh, it's a plain belly water snake, uh, but they can find out later. There's probably someone else that knows. I'm sure 20,000 people will tell them it's a water moccasin, and someone will go out there and beat it to death with a shovel for no reason. Anyway, um, somebody sent me this email, and they're, they're asking me about how to reduce the amount of scum in a pond. Well, it turned out the pond was part of a rain catchment system off a roof. It's like a 150 gallon pond. And for those that are in the video, I'm going to bring up a picture of the system right now. And the pond is up on a platform. And then there's three rain barrels. The pond overflows when it exceeds capacity, which would be any meaningful rainfall on a roof of this size, into the rain barrels. And then this is used to irrigate uh, a garden. Okay, great. I don't understand, though, why it's designed this way. I don't really get it. 
And what I asked is, what, why is there a pond in this system at all? If it's an irrigation system primarily designed to catch water off a roof, because what he's saying is about once a month, he has to drain the pond, clean it out, and then fill it back up. And I said, are you, are you topping this off with well water or anything like that? He said, yes. You know, when it gets really dry, top it off. But apparently it's staying full enough to function for irrigation through the summer. Apparently that's his rainy season. I, I don't know where he's at. Okay. I, I never want to criticize when somebody's done a thing, that they've done a thing. I, I think it's great to do things and learn. And I might be missing something here. But when I look at this, what I see is an open water collection system to the sun that is devoid of any and all actual life. So, you know, if you were doing something with this, if there were fish being kept in it, if it was growing a Zola, right, if you had it capped with a Zola and maybe a little bit of shade cloth, so and it looks like he does have some shade cloth over it or maybe just some hardware cloth to keep mosquitoes from breeding it, which would be a good thing. I don't see any fish in it. I don't see any life in it. And so my honest answer to how I would fix this problem is I would take the pond somewhere else and I would put the pond into a living state and I wouldn't use the pond this way. I wouldn't even have it in this system if the only real purpose of this system is to catch water and put it to the garden. In fact, the little uh, rain barrels, I mean, you already have them, so you might as well use them. I, I, I wouldn't even do that. These are the small, they're probably like 40, 35, 40 gallons. If you look at them, the side facing out is flat. That's so they can sit flat up against the wall and take up less space. This entire system, I'm going to guess 40 gallons per barrel, three barrels, 120 gallons. 100 gallons probably in the pond. So, you know, 220 to 250 gallons total capacity here. I would have done this with an, one IBC and had more, 330 gallons with a single IBC. Um, now, maybe he's using the pond for head pressure, which it looks like maybe he is, but I, I don't have that information. And so then maybe we want water up high for that, but but then we're pumping water back up to it from the rain barrels. I don't. So what I would do is I would, if you want to do a rain catchment system and you don't want to grow plants or fish in it, then I wouldn't have anything open and I would cut off light a hundred percent. Like one of the things he could do here is he could just cover this and completely dark it out. Cause why deconstruct it if you don't have something else to do with it right away? So if you completely black this out, you're not going to have much going on at all. You're going to have pretty much a sterile environment. You're, you're not going to get a lot of growth. And if there's a little bit of, you know, uh, algae in it or something, it doesn't hurt anything. The reason this is so hard to maintain, and it's the same thing with keeping fish in a, in a tank, is I want you to think about when people do fish tanks and they don't do planted tanks. They don't, they just do like colorful gravel, maybe some plastic plants and a little, castle or a little toy chest or something in a filter right those tanks those are the ones that people have to change the water like every two weeks every week they have to vacuum the gravel they always are fighting diseases they're always putting fish mocks in for for infections they're dealing with ick and you got a guy like me i got a tank behind me has not had a water change in honest to god six years 
There's been zero. All I've done is just added water. And you, you take that to the fish police on the aquarium forums. And they'll be like, yeah, too much salt to dissolve solids. Well, the fish swimming around there don't give a shit. You know, they don't care. And the reason that system can run that long is it's full of plants and fish. And it has a substrate that has an active substrate at the bottom. There's dirt below the cap. There's plants growing into that dirt. Detris falls down and ends up. And the life in the tank is a check on other life in the tank. It doesn't mean I can't have algae. What it means is the algae can't just be like, woohoo, I'm setting up camp. Woohoo, there's nobody to compete with me. I get all the nutrient. I get all the light. I get all the space. Life is a check on other life. So if you have fish in a system and you have other plants in a system and you have natural filtration in a system and you have water circulation in a system, you guys have seen some of the videos I've done with some of my outdoor systems. Look, where's the solid separator? The system is a solid separator. You had a system that's eight years old. No real filtration the way that people think of filtration. It's biological, not mechanical. There's no thing that I'm dumping goo out of. And the bottom of the tank is, you know, some of them need to be dredged just because I'm losing space. The bottom of the tank is six inches of sludge. I can go down there and scoop it out, and it's nasty. But you take a, a, a jar and dip it in the water without going down into there, and you hold it up, and it looks like water came out of a faucet. That is, that is how you manage a system like this. Now, my problem is I don't see a way to do that with this system. I, I just don't. I don't see a way to turn this system into that because sitting up high like it is, you're in a position where you really can't recirculate water back to it. So I would want this, if I was going to do this, I would probably put the pond under the deck, put the rain barrels on top of the deck, okay? And I would pump water out of the pond up to the rain barrels and constantly overflow them back down to the pond. This is, if you're going to do this, this is backwards. Moving the pond under the deck, since there's a small pond, would put it in shade, and I would cover it with a Zola. And I would go out, if you have them locally, and just net a couple dozen Gambrosia mosquito fish, I would put them in the pond and I would maintain it that way. Now, there's a lot of reasons you might not be doing that. Maybe as ducks, they're going to go in there and shit. Yeah, they'll mess it up. You'll have to fence them out. Of course, the nice thing is the little deck that it's on. You see how that would work. And then somebody might be really smart and say, but when you move those barrels up on that deck, the top of the barrel will be higher than the roof. How do you get the water into the pond or into the barrels? Well, you could fill them up to a certain point from the roof. Or if you were clever, you might figure out how to use the water that flows down into the pond and retop your barrels back up using a pump. If it's constantly recirculating, it would do that. Um, John just gave me another 20 bucks on Super Chat from SOE. And he said he added three pieces, three Placos to my IBC totes full of fatted minnows. Yeah, and that'll work until winter. You know, Placos don't make it through your winter, John. But, yeah, you can throw a Placo in there. I've thrown Placos in my ponds. I've never seen them dead, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they stayed alive. But I got one in one of my 55s. It was about 12 and a half inches. Poor guy couldn't turn around anymore. It was, like, May that year. I threw his ass in my 6,000-gallon my pond. I've never seen him again. He, 
he, I, I doubt he made it because we had the big freeze three years ago after I did that. But uh, it definitely works. You can definitely clean up some of that. Just be careful with those uh, placos if you're in a climate that they definitely can survive in the wild. And they've pretty much taken over some waterways in Florida. Um, but, yeah, I, I would flip this around. But he has no circulation going on. There needs to be some circulation, a small pump doing recirculation. Um, the other thing would be maybe a really large sponge filter uh, with an air pump that you would have to make sure is protected from the element. And we're back. I'm wondering if everybody can hear me. I'm back tethered on the phone. Again, my Internet went down right in the middle of the stream. It's starting to, it's starting to be a little bit suspicious. I don't like to do that. I don't think I'm that important. But it's just starting – isn't it being a little bit suspicious? We've not had any, any Internet interruptions except for three in the last week that were all right in the middle of a stream. We'll see. We'll see. It's, 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 I'm just glad I have a redundant method. So where were we? We were talking about this uh, aquatic system. You need to have life in an aquatic system for it to function well. And the other thing that you really need to have in an aquatic system is you need to have some level of motion. I think I was saying like a sponge filter with an air compressor, something like that. But if the owner will get back to me um, and let me know anything I've got wrong or if they want any more information on going in the direction uh, of things uh, that I was headed down there, then maybe we can add to this and we can make this something that – we learn a little bit more about across time, and I'm just stalling here just a little bit to figure out where I'm at going with my next story. So I have figured that out. We are back in uh, broadcasting mode. Let's uh, I'll, I'll edit that out. But Texas Parks and Wildlife opts for eminent domain to save Fairfield Lake State Park. So. A developer bought this land in January. There is a park already on it. Okay, this is within uh, the, the, the south of Dallas, so it's in a Dallas County area. And um, the developer paid $110.5 million with the intention to develop the, the, the property. Now, how did this, this is what I'm saying, this is a weird thing. This is, a weird, this is another example of government sucking. If you want to read the article, you can. I'm going to go ahead and drop that article out of the screen um, and just kind of try to explain to you what is going, going on here. How do you have a state park on a piece of property, and then the developer buys that property, and then the government takes the property back from the developer under eminent domain. Doesn't it seem like there's something missing here? Well, if the government didn't want to give up the park, why did they sell the property? The government never owned the property. The government built a park on a piece of property they leased. They were leasing the land. Then they invested stolen tax dollars into the land to create the park, right? Then the person holding the lease said, you know what? I don't want the property anymore. So he sold the property to the developer. And at least it happened to be ending, right? It is a 99-year lease. It's up. It's over. It ends this summer. And the new 
property owner, I don't want to lease you the property anymore. It's mine. I bought it. Get out. So the government said, well, we have to save the park. So, and I will say, it sounds like the board members, this is a county level issue, that did this were really reluctant to do it. Now, I don't have a lot of sympathy for freaking government politicians ever. You know that. But it seemed like it took a lot of, like, gnashing of teeth and wailing and have. But anyway, they voted for it because the state park is already there under eminent domain through the court system. This is pretty much a slam dunk. And now the developer has to say to the, the, the government, well, how much do I get? What do you want to bet? The first thing that we're going to say is we're going to give you $110.5 million. And the guy's going to be like, oh, no, 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 screw that. No, 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 no. That's what I just paid for it. I bought this property with the intention of making a profit. So they can either come to a number or they can go to court. If they go to court, the court who is the government will give a number as to what the government has to pay for the property. And it is possible that that number could be less than what the guy paid for the property, which would be really difficult under their whole view of property tax. Wouldn't it? This is another example of government should not be doing shit like this. This is when people say, but Jack, I know you're an anarchist, but what about parks? You know, if, a, if the government is going to build a park on a piece of land, it should, in fact, be owned by the government. Now, I know the government can't. I, I'm taking my anarchist hat off. Okay, I'm trying to be reasonable, Jack, here for a minute. I'm saying let's pretend it's, it, it's 30 years ago and Jack Spirico is a small government Republican idealist. And he believes if we just followed the Constitution, if I, if I go back to being that guy. It's very hard for me to get my head there. But I have to get my head there. I have to get my head there. If I don't get my head there, I can't serve my broader audience. Because even in my audience, most of my audience are not anarchists. Even if they've come all the way to the ideological side of anarchism. Because the way I explain it was like, well, that's the way things should be. But I have to work with what we have. Pragmatism that overrides ideology. I get it. So I'm going to say that if you're the government and you're going to invest the stolen money that you stole in infrastructure to build a park, that you should see to it that the land is owned in perpetuity by the government before you do that. This shouldn't have been done on leased land. It should have never been done on leased land. And the only way that it would make any sense for it to have been done on leased land would have been a guaranteed renewable lease where the guarantee transferred if the ownership of the property transferred, which is totally doable in the United States. You can do a 99-year guaranteed renewable lease. You can do a one-year guaranteed renewable lease. This is a clusterfuck. Now, I, I have to wonder, though, this developer, did they know what they were getting into? Is this maybe what they wanted? Right? Is this maybe what they wanted? Do they feel now that they're going to profit by $20, $30 million and not do anything? Or did they buy it with that mindset? Did they buy it with the mindset of, you know, if they don't, if, if we just say no and we don't renew the lease, if they do just give up and go away, 
then we'll just develop the land. And this is on a lake, by the way. This is primo real estate. And if they if they say that they're going to imminent domain us, do we already know that we have big enough hotshot lawyers, we give them a piece of the action on the profit, that we're going to make a bunch of money, and we're going to make a bunch of money either way? I'm, I'm really leaning toward the fact that this developer knew that this was a potential possibility. And unlike a lot of things where, like, somebody's being thrown out of their house or something like that, this is not one of these things where, like, you know, this is wrong because this poor old lady lived here her whole life and shit. It's still wrong, though. Eminent domain shows that you don't live in a free country. You can't have a free country and have eminent domain. I'm sorry, you can't. But what if we need to put a road through there? Then you pay the person enough money that they let you put a road through a place. And, and then there's another thing to this, too. I hate it, but there is, like, right of easement. And if a person buys the property with the right of easement clearly spe spelled out when they buy it, as long as it's not altered later, at least they knew when they went in. Again, I'm back to I'm not anarchist, Jack. I'm not being fully ideological. I'm being a pragmatist. Here's what I mean by that. Let's say I bought a piece of property. It's 300 yards width in one dimension. And there's a road on my eastern boundary. Yeah? And they say that we have... Um, 40 feet of easement there. I'm, and I know that when I buy the property, and eventually the property is, the, the road is widened. It sucks. I still think it's wrong, but we all agreed to the rules and we're following rules. Where they screw people, they take the easement and they reestablish a new 40 foot easement. So there's no actual limit to it. Or they come up with any reason to take somebody's land from them. They did this when they built the, 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 the new football stadium in Arlington. They threw people out of their houses. And they did not pay them a fair value for the property once that stadium was being put in. It, it is not the case that you should be, if you're going to do this, again, back to being a pragmatist. Well, what's it worth after you build your stadium or put your road in or whatever? Well, it's worth a lot more. Right. The, the, the houses that were just outside of where they stole the land for that football stadium. Almost nobody lives in them full time anymore. Do you know why? Because all they did was go, huh, we got the Rangers baseball stadium. We got the, the Cowboys football stadium right over there. All these restaurants and all these other events going on. Most of those people moved out. Modified, took some money out of the bank, borrowed some money upgraded their homes a little bit, took some nice pictures, and you know what they did? Vibro Airbnb. And so those houses are now making a shitload of cash flow. And instead of having to negotiate the footprint, they just took the land they wanted. Imminent domain and property tax are not consistent with a free society. You don't live in a free society for a lot of reasons. I've been trying to break down that belief system in people for a long time. The way that things are censored, the way that your, your, your voice is prevented from being heard, that's all part of it. But when you have property taxed and at the same time the ability for the government to simply seize property and pay you whatever they decide it's worth, and the arbiter is the state itself, you don't have a free society. And don't ever think that you did. And I know some of my uh, purest anarchists will go, I can't believe the way you talked about that. You're, you're advocating that you're stupid and I can't help you.
They're stupid in every political ideology. There are stupid statists at every level. There are stupid Republicans. There are stupid Democrats. There are stupid, I think all socialists are stupid, but definitely more stupid socialists. There's stupid communists and there are stupid libertarians and there are stupid anarchists. And when you refuse to use any pragmatism and analyze the issue, this is, I look at it like analyzing a football game and a call a referee made. I don't really get, at least I sort of kind of pay attention to football once in a while. I like to watch the Steelers play and I like to watch them do well. Uh, we'll see with Ben gone if that stays the case. But let's say the NBA. I don't give a shit what happens in an NBA basketball game. I don't care. I don't care if the NBA goes bankrupt tomorrow or they expand by 10 teams. I don't care. It won't affect my life, and I know it. But if you're going to play basketball and you have a rule book, I, I would expect that you will follow your own rules in your own game. So if somebody shows me a call that a ref made, and let's say there was a foul, and like you see the guy, I mean, it's so blatant. You see the guy's arm come down and smack, and it leaves a red mark on the guy's arm. And the ref's like, no foul. I'm going to be like, that was a bad call, even though I don't really care. That's how I feel about a lot of this. Like, the state should follow its own rules. It's one thing that the rules are slanted against the people, but when they can't even follow them. I mean, I don't want to get into it today, but don't tell me we don't have a two-tier justice system with what's happening to the orange man right now. I can despise the orange man and say all this shit they're doing to charge him with this, this bullshit under the espionage act is crap. Not my game, not my circus, not my monkeys. I can still judge it. I can still judge it. And I will continue to judge it. Let's see if my internet's come back. I might even swap over. It's back. We're going to stay tethered as long as we don't have problems. If I start Max headrooming on your end and I don't see it, let me know. And we'll try to switch back over to the other network. But I'm going to prefer not to do that possible. Please remember as we go through here, if you have questions or talking points for me, they should at least have the first couple words of them in all caps if you're in the live stream. And please smash that like if you're watching this video in real time or in the future. Hit that thumbs up for us. If you're not subscribed, like and subscribe. That helps us out. I, I tell you, you talk about lack of uh, freedom of reach. It, it, it sickens me how hard it is for people to just get things like a notice that we've started streaming. And how many people tell me they never get the notice, even though they have the little bell. Click, click the bell anyway. And if you click the bell, if you click subscribe... Make sure you're still subscribed and make sure your notifications are on because I've literally had people send me screenshot videos, subscribe to my YouTube channel, reload the page, and be unsubscribed. Thanks a lot, YouTube. Nice way to treat your creators. We'll get into some of that uh, in a little bit. Next up, though, I want to talk to you guys about this other story. Uh, I find this to be, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, even though people say that I am. Um I, I tend to be more of a spoiler alert uh, or a plot ruiner. Uh, I, I let you know what's going to happen. And so Science News has this article out about a new gene therapy shot for cats. And it keeps them from getting pregnant without being spray, uh, spayed. They took uh, the, the basics is they developed this uh, experimental genetic therapy that alters hormone production in cats. And they took a certain number of female kitties and they gave them the gene altering injection. Huh? Sound familiar? And uh, conspiracy therapist Kelly says, I, I like that. I am going to 
That's going on a shirt in the swag shop. Conspiracy therapist. I'm stealing it, Kelly. It's going on a shirt, right? Uh, and Stymie says mRNA for cats. It doesn't say if it's an mRNA. It probably is, but it doesn't say in the article. So I don't, I can't say one way or another. But they gave these kitties this gene shot. It talks about how they used to do, they, they, they tried for years to develop like, an, instead of a gene therapy, an anti-pregnancy vaccine. You give the cat a shot, the cat is no longer able to get pregnant for the rest of its life, and we stop the abundance of street kitties, right? That was, that's the, the, the concept that they're talking about here. We have all these stray cats. Nobody wants to go kill all the cats. We have these parks. People feed the cats. The cats, a lot of the cats end up being even those strays. Kids pet them and shit. I don't want to kill an animal that doesn't need to be killed. But they're like, you know, the cats kill too many birds and all this other bullshit. Um, so we need to fix this problem. So they, invent, they, they went through a massive amount of money and research to develop a shot to give a cat that alters its genetics. And it, this is what it says. The genetics don't actually enter the cell. They remain in the cat's body, though, possibly for the rest of its life. That sounds interesting. And they're able to modify the genetics of the cat without actually changing the underlying DNA. Hmm. There is a shot recently for humans where they said it didn't change the underlying DNA. But it didn't last forever. It didn't persist. I'm not saying they're connected. Just saying... Something's rhyming here a little bit, but it's not my bigger concern. I believe that it is the stated goal of a lot of these assholes that we talk about, like the WEF, the transhumanists, etc., to reduce the population of the earth to what in their head is a sustainable population. They were overpopulated. There's too many of us. I don't believe it is an effective thing to do in 2023 or any time, that doesn't mean it won't ever change in their minds. But right now, I don't think that they think it makes a lot of sense to try to do Holocaust 2.0 and start exterminating people. The, the sheer numbers alone make this untenable. Or to turn everybody into soil and green or some shit like that. Like, this is all good science fiction, but it doesn't really work very well on a broad scheme. But the same way that a corporation that needs to reduce employee headcount will just start letting people retire without replacing them and let people quit and go somewhere else without replacing them and maybe giving some people a little bit of nudge to leave. Hey, you know what? We're going to make your life suck, but here's a great letter of recommendation from your boss. I'm just saying, look at what's on. See that little posting that's on LinkedIn? Maybe you should check it out. Like the way they just kind of like a trick population. I believe that these people would love to see less babies by any means necessary. And then they don't have to technically kill anyone. And then you start, you look at the whole trans thing a little bit different. The trans kids, there's no trans kids. No such thing as a trans kid. A 12-year-old can't decide to get a tattoo, but they can decide to have their wang cut off or their breast cut off. Or muscle taken out of their leg to make a fake penis if they're a girl. Massive complications in these surgeries, etc. It's okay. We can't get a tattoo even with a parental signature. You got to ask yourself, what's what's at play here? These people are never going to have any kids. Even if they change their mind in the future and go, that was stupid. Let me try to go back. Going back's not easy. It doesn't just reverse like they claim. But they're gonna, they, they ruin their fertility forever. I honestly think 
that things like this cat genetic bullshit is being done to develop a way, because if you read this, these cats don't have the same problems that a cat that was spayed would have. They didn't have their female reproductive organs removed, and they didn't have to go through surgery. See, neutering a male cat is a, is a much more simplistic surgery. Nuts off, especially when they're young and a kitten. It's really easy to do. Ask any rancher how easy castration of steers can be, right? There's ways to do it where you don't even just band it and it falls off, right? But women are the ones that decide if there's children. They're the ones that can say, I don't like kids, but they can change their mind when a biological clock, the ticking gets louder, 26, 27, 28, 31, 32, tick, tick. All of a sudden they want a kid. But if they make a decision to be permanently altered when they're younger and don't think they're ever going to want kids, they can't change their mind. And I just look at the current state of affairs, the brainwashing that's been done to our youth, the emotional and mental damage that's been done to our youth. And say, if you could tell a girl in 2023 that's 18, 19, 20 years old, old enough to make the decision medically under our law, you get one little shot, never have kids. How many would do it? And throughout the Western world, how many would do it? How many would do it? I think the, the answer is a lot more than would undergo surgery and have their, their tubes tied or their ovaries removed or something like that. I think that when you make something as simple as done in a society like we have, you only need that person to be in the mindset that this is what I want to do for a couple weeks. A couple weeks. And you go into your doctor and it's as easy. And, and I'm not saying this is something you're going to see next week, but I think this is something you're going to see rolled out in the next few years. A, and it may not be this particular method, but I think th there's not enough money in this. There's not enough. I don't care if you got government grants or money is still money. There's not enough money in this. How much money is there in going? You know what we did today? We solved the stray cat in the park problem. If you read this article, and I, could, I encourage you to do so, there's a link in the show notes. When you read it, it's disturbing. If you read it a second time, it becomes more disturbing. If you read it twice after hearing me, it's probably more disturbing when it was when I read it the second time this morning. When you start putting the pieces together, this to me looks like we're laying the groundwork for mass voluntary sterility in humans. And I know there are people out there who will immediately jump in. They're going to just force it on people. They'll add it to the, you know, MMR vaccine or something. Maybe, but I don't think you'll have to. I don't think you'll have to. I think if, if, if we still have a Second Amendment in the United States 40 years from now, 30 years from now, if it hasn't been complete, even if it's still there on paper, if it hasn't completely been destroyed, it will be a miracle. Because all they have turned their focus to is the next generation. They've let go. They've tribalized everybody over 30. You have three distinct tribes in people over 30. Left, died in the wool 100%. The left is the way. I'll, never, I'll vote for a dog as a Democrat. The right, 
same thing, one or the other. And all this crap, all this class warfare, all this trans bullshit, all it did was further that divide. Do you think they did it because they really believe that it's important for children to be able to change their sex? Or because look at the giant wedge we can create. And then there's the third group, DGAF. Don't give a fuck. Don't care. Don't have time to. And that's the majority of people. I don't care. And I don't mean don't care the way that I don't care. Like, I'm going to build my life. I mean, they're not doing anything to build their life. They just go to work and come home. They play video games or whatever, and they just go on their life. And if you keep programming the youth who have a third of the population already, their, their parents are already all the way to this leftist ideological bullshit. You have a third that don't even care. And then the right... Children tend to rebel against their parents, especially if they're encouraged to by peers or other authority. You're going to pull some of that, too. In another generation, you have the votes to completely overturn the Constitution of the United States. That's their game. That's their game. And so I don't think you need to force a single person to do this to further your population control agenda. Now, you might eventually, if you don't get the numbers you want, kind of like they did with the uh, clot shot. Yeah. Oh, it's voluntary. Oh, you have to ask to be on a list. We only have so many. Right. I mean, don't worry. No, it's not going to be mandatory. There's not going to be passports. That's foolish. We're making sure that people of color get theirs first. It's how limited it is. Four months later, Joe Biden signing an executive order requiring it under OSHA. And, if, and, and mandating it through fiat by more than a third of the population of the United States based on who they're employed by and mandating it for all government uh, employees and contractors of government entities. That went really fast. So I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm saying I don't know that it needs to. I don't know that it needs to. I think right now, if you had an FDA approved, and I'm sure that's not hard to do, a little bit of money here, a little bit of money there, well, it's voluntary. Hey, look at what we could do. The woman that, that can avoid the surgery and all the risks that go along with it, and it's perfectly safe. We've tested it in cats. Look what it did for the parks. Okay, boom, rubber stamped. I think right now, at least one in ten young women, and when I say young women, 16, if you asked them, because maybe 16, you can't do it yet, right? But just 16 to 26 at least 10% would get in line. Not even think about it. And it's probably more. I'm being conservative when I say one in 10. Do the math. Find out how many women that is. And think about what it means for future reproduction. And then think about the fact that there is a certain group in within demographics that will never do it. And if you want to change the structure of a country, you've got a formula for it right there. I don't want to beat this one anymore, but I do think that 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 is where this is going long term. Now, I also wanted to talk real quick to you about something else. I'm going to suggest again that you get involved with uh, Noster for communicating with people in a network, social media style, for being able to meet people to DM people, 
to be able to exchange value with people through the Lightning Network, et cetera. But I want to point, point it to you in a little bit of a, a different way right now. And that is I want you to think about assuming you use Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or any of the major brand social media. Where does the value come from on that network? Now, Twitter has every major politician is on Twitter. Do the politicians bring value to the Twitter network? I mean, people like talking shit to them and all. You know, they don't bring any real value. They're, they're a quarter of a quarter of a percent, right? You have people with the, you know, Kardashians showing their big ass or whatever on there, musicians, et cetera. They're not the value of the network. And you've got brands, you've got companies, uh, both as advertisers and as content participants of the network. You put all of that shit together, it's maybe 1% of the network. 99% of the network is Joe Blow and Jane Blow, who just want to communicate with their friends and share pictures and see what's going on in the world. They are the value of the network. You are the value of the network. You who post three times a week and communicates with your friends. You're why the network has value. You're why the politician's there. The politician's there to try to get you to vote for them and divide you into a class. Yeah. And to fundraise for you. You are why the brand is there. Without you, there is nobody to sell their bullshit rigmarole to. Okay. And as far as the celebrities, you're why they're there too, so they can preen their feathers and feel important. You, every second that you give on a Facebook or a Twitter, that's your life force. That's your dash. And you are giving it to them so that they can resell you and your data and the, the ability to put things in front of you. You are everything. They are nothing. The company that has the platform is also nothing in reality. You want to clone Facebook? You can clone Facebook with a site that will do everything Facebook does with open source software in a day. And the only thing you have to do to scale is as you get more users, add more servers. They don't have any value in the platform. It's shit. Anybody that once code exists, anybody can copy it. Anything one line of code can do, another line of code can be built to do the same thing. It's crap. What they have is brand recognition, mainly because the weight of the government has been put behind them. They've been given fuck tons of public money. They have been given guarantees, and they have had policies passed to protect them. And after all that, they treat you like a piece of shit. Without you, they have nothing. And that was very hard if you're Bill or Larry or K-Bonk here in the chat to think that it matters that you switch off over here and take that activity in your life. You don't have to give it up. You can learn about the news. You can talk to your friends. You can post pictures. You can get information over here. Very hard to believe that it matters. But it does. And it matters to you. It matters to you. And it's you're the first person you need to be concerned with. You and then your family. And then your friends. And then your larger network. Bring them with you. Stop letting them use you as a digital whore. They are your pimp. The average person's data in the Western world and affluent Western world's data is worth about $8 a day. You're an $8 a day 
dollar sign to Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk. And at the same time, they tell you what you can see, who you can see, who you can see it from. Again, right now, I'm on YouTube because I reach the most people with it. I wish, you, I wish there was a way that I'd reach more people than I'll reach on YouTube, on other, and I would do it. But it works, and I do it. But I know for a fact, a ton of you guys tell me all the time, I never see anything from you unless I actively look for it. I'm subscribed. I'm alerted. We need to start continuing to build these things out. And this is what I, this is what I have decided going forward. I'm all in on things like Noster. And if I'm going to be all in on something else, it's going to have to be like Noster. And what I mean is it's a protocol. I will never again invest my time, my talent, my energy, and my money into building anything anywhere where the relationship with I have with you can be interfered with. If, you know, one of my favorite clients to use for Noster is a, is a, a client called Snort. Snort, not social. If Snort does something stupid, I don't lose my connections to any of you guys. And you don't lose your connection. You just use a different client. And if that sounds technically complicated to you, it isn't. It isn't. And if you want to know more, go to Noster, N-O-S-T-R, dot how. And I have a link in the show notes today to the Grow Noster initiative, which, by the way, is still fire. It is still growing. And I am making connections with people through Grow Noster, that have no idea who I am. And I'm watching people who are like I've known from Twitter or I've known from other social networks that never had more than a smattering of followers. Little bitty network. I'm watching them magnify their network 100, 200 contacts. It's great. But the biggest thing is no middleman. And we, the future belongs to protocols. The future belongs to owning and controlling your own data. The future it, 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 it belong, for free people belongs in the free exchange of information. It's it's millions of us running things like Start9 servers, Umbral servers, etc. It's millions of us saying, we don't need you. Do whatever you want. But we don't need you. You're not relevant in our world anymore. All right, last thing. I thought it'd be fun. The dog's got to lose it right toward the end. I thought it'd be fun, and I'm going to make sure this is muted. And just play this in the background, this little video here uh, by Courtney Luna of a new thing that I've just recently discovered. Come on, dogs. Um, let me get this up on the screen. Dogs got to lose their mind. So it is a new bread substitute from the keto world that's different than maybe anything else you've ever seen. And you can see this is her, uh, she calls it a muffin, uh, maybe more like a biscuit, I guess. It, it kind of reminds me of an English muffin. And it's, it's different than chaffles, which were made with egg and cheese. It's made with pork rinds. It's a quarter cup of pork rind, one egg, and a tablespoon of butter mixed up. And she melted the butter in a ramkin dish. I did this this morning, tried it my, myself for the first time. Poured the butter out of the ramkin into the bowl to get a good mix and just dumped it right back into the ramkin and microwaves it for 90 seconds. That's all it takes. I'm not going to say it tasted like a, just like an English. It was good. That my wife liked it. My wife's not huge on the chaffle. She thinks it's too eggy. I'm thinking maybe it's the cheese egg thing together because there's no cheese in these. And again, that's the full recipe. A tablespoon of butter. A quarter cup of pork rind grounds, the, so ground up pork rinds, like the panko breadcrumbs that I recommend, um, and an egg. 
Mix it together, microwave it 90 seconds. It's pretty good. But here's what I really like. She, she has a pretty cool TikTok channel. I was checking out some of her little shorts and stuff. She takes that same mixture. And I didn't even, I, you, I've talked to you guys about the mini waffle makers. You know what a waffle cone is? Like for ice cream, they're pretty good. Um, don't eat them, but I, I remember they're pretty good. Did you know you can buy a waffle cone maker, like a little waffle iron, but it's thin? She takes that same recipe, puts it on one of those, and makes like street taco style tortillas out of this stuff. And what got me was how fast it was to make this morning. What I did it with this morning, I made up some, gave one to my wife, took the other one, cut it in half. I spread cream cheese on it. Put some uh, Trader Joe's everyday seasoning on it. Not everything but the bagel, everyday seasoning. That's something we'll talk about in the future. Pretty good stuff, too. And to put some salmon locks on it and a few capers on top. They're freaking good. And the first thing I thought was if I can get a little bit bigger of a ramkin, because it's pretty thick, keep a little bit bigger round, keep the, the mounts the same, put them in there, it might make a pretty good sandwich bun or, or a hamburger bun or whatever. It does have... It does have a just like I think if I handed it to you and said, "What do you think this is made out of?" I think you would snap to it's made out of pork rinds. There, you can definitely tell it's made with pork rinds, in my opinion. The other thing was I added a little bit, just a tiny bit of baking powder. Now this Courtney Luna gal, she is a hundred percent keto. I'm sorry, hundred percent carnivore. So um, that that's not something that uh, that that she would have done. And I think it might have given it a little bit more of a lift. And maybe that's why I felt like it was a bit thick. Uh, so uh, just something to think about there. But I'm going to be playing with this. And as I figure out more of what to do with it, uh, I'll be talking about it. Because I think there's a lot that can be done with it. I also want to give you one of mine. I put this out um, the other day. I put it out on social media. And... It is a way to make a uh, tortilla, taco shell, wrap, whatever you, you want to call it. And it's it's the same but different, man. It's basically a chaffle recipe. I put one egg in a bowl and a big handful of shredded cheese. I don't even measure that. And I mix that up really good. And I add a little bit of heavy cream. You could use water just to thin it out a little bit more. And I pour it into a nice hot frying pan, nonstick. So well-seasoned uh, carbon steel is what I use. You can use a conventional nonstick pan, whatever. And kind of use the, the spatula and flatten it out as much as you can, like a pancake. Cook it till it starts to, you know, have holes in it like a pancake. Slide the spatula around. Make sure it's cooked enough that you can flip it without tearing it. Flip it over. Cook both sides till they're browned. I've been doing breakfast tacos with those, and those are frigging good. The beauty is, because I wanted to reiterate this. I talked about this recently. These no-carb or low-carb, uh, carb balance, et cetera, tortillas, it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. I bought into it myself because fiber this, fiber that. I can't tell you how many YouTube videos I've watched of serious keto people who say, okay, they said this is low-carb. I'm going to take my blood sugar. I'm going to eat one of these tortillas and take my blood sugar 30 minutes later. And it spikes the shit out of their blood sugar, sometimes worse than you know the regular product. These things, you're not going to get a blood sugar spike from freaking egg and pork rind or egg and cheese. That, that, this is all kosher to begin with on the pro program. I want you to know about that. On that note, since we're talking about food and kitchens, today's T-Spaz item of the day is the Mr. Coffee electric coffee grinder. 
I brought it around today because it's on sale. Yesterday, I brought you my favorite coffee maker, which is the Secura French press, uh, French presses, stainless steel French presses. This is the, the coffee grinder I've used every day forever. There's a link in this article right up on this coffee maker that's from 2016 uh, of, of one of our spice rubs that we make with it. So it's 47% off today. You can find it at tspaz.com. You can find a link in the video notes below or in today's uh, podcast notes as well. And uh, it's just a great little piece of kit to add to your kitchen. With that, I'm going to wrap up. I'm glad we got through this using the tether. Looks like the Internet's back over on the other side. Something seems a little bit suspicious there. We'll see uh, going down the road if this trend continues. With that, I'll wrap up. I'll let you know we have a great interview set up for tomorrow. I don't know what we're doing Thursday yet. I do know we'll be doing an expert council Q&A show on Friday. Ron Paul and his crew will be back for that, I'm sure. And with that, Jack, <clears throat> with that's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. Dollar down, a dollar.